The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How do you view your own success? Are you leading with compassion or are you considered ruthless? There is plenty of room for both types of leaders, but the best way to lead successfully is to balance boldness and integrity, using kindness and compassion to earn respect. Combine this with a go-getter, visionary, and aggressive drive to stay competitive. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks. We'll use the ideas heard today and in this series to help you use every advantage to achieve the best end result. Now, here's your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and I am delighted that you've been able to join us. Now, from time to time, I get a question around what in the world is a compassionate samurai? Well, when you think about business, you need to be a warrior out there in business life today. But what would happen if you marry up that warrior-like spirit with traits of compassion? you would be unstoppable. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the traits of a compassionate samurai, go into the archives back in November of 2015, and there's a lovely show that covers all 10 traits of a compassionate samurai. Now, for today's show, you are in for a treat. I thought we'd start off the new year learning a little bit about what we do with employment engagement. And when it comes to employees, we certainly have a responsibility not only to treat them well, but set them up to win in their career. So for today's guest, we have guest expert Saul Macias. Now, Saul is the vice president of professional services and a principal owner at Shared HR. And we'll get into more of what is Shared HR in just a little bit. But let me let you know about Saul. He is an amazing man with over 20 years of HR experience. And he's worked extensively in the for-profit and non-profit organizational sector. He knows how to develop, design, and really engineer performance management in the human resources sector. He's worked with several companies, some well-known, such as Macy's. He's also worked with foundations, such as the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. He is bilingual, both Spanish and English, and holds his MBA as a senior professional in human resources. So, so Saul, welcome to today's show. Thank you very much, Kathy. Great to be on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I can't wait to just jump right in. And I absolutely love the play on words when it comes to your company name. So Shared HR, and that's with a capital H and a capital R at the end, would you provide for our listeners, what does that really represent? Because I can just imagine the first time someone hears it, they're going to fill in the blanks. But I'd like for you to do that for our listeners today. 
glad to, Kathy. We get that question quite a bit, actually. It's a, 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 bit, uh, a bit of a unique name, but as we you know, sought to, to grow the company, um, we asked ourselves, you know, what are we about? Um, what do we want to be known for? Uh, and what will make us different in the marketplace? And we came up with the term shared HR because we wanted to uh, transmit the sense that when you partner with Shared HR, um, we're sharing in the success of your employees. Uh, we're sharing in the challenges that that sometimes brings, uh, but mostly sharing in the success of employees. And so we wanted our clients to feel like we're not just a vendor, we're a partner. Uh, ah, so that's what, uh, that's what gave rise to, to the shared part. Uh, and, of course, the HR part is the HR part. Uh, we only do one thing, and that is human resources consulting. Uh, and that's how we came up with the name. I love it. The fact that you're putting your name out there and saying, we're not just a vendor, we're a partner. That alone, I think, is going to set you apart from other companies out there. Thank you. We hope mm-hmm. so. <laughs> exactly. Now, let's give our listeners an idea, a concept of some of the services that you offer. And keeping in mind, uh, for me, I came from the corporate America sector. I know you did too, where um, there were usually a half a dozen to a dozen um human resources professional with any company that I worked with. So the concept that you could outsource some of these roles and responsibilities as a business owner, I'm scratching my head saying, now, how does this really work? So can you give me an idea of the services that you offer to your clients? Absolutely. Um, and maybe I can start by by kind of uh, giving you the, the 50,000 view of, of kind of why we provide the service we do um, before I sort of dig into the, the kinds of services. We provide the level of service because we have grown to see that in many small to medium-sized companies, uh, the HR department is often uh, taxed with doing two very distinct levels of work. Uh, both are critically important. One is a very tactical People need to get paid. You need to comply with federal, local, and state laws, et cetera. But then there's also a very strategic end of, of the spectrum. And it's very difficult in small and medium-sized firms to be able to cover both bases, shall we say, to use a sports metaphor, uh, with one person. Uh, and oftentimes, in any given organization, a company might hire one HR resource for every 100 people or so. Um, so... If you're in an organization with 100 people, of course, you, you might want to afford one person. Um, but it puts uh, employers um, at risk if when they hire that one resource, they get too bogged down with the tactical end of HR and can't, don't have, or don't make time for the more strategic end of HR or vice versa. So we decided to put together a suite of services uh, that are flexible in nature that help organizations with the spectrum that is uh, human resources. And those services include things like uh, compensation uh, analysis, uh, employee uh, engagement surveys, uh, running payroll, benefits administration, leave administration, uh, all the way to designing an HR department um, to meet organizational goals, um, and being a trusted advisor to senior management on sensitive HR-related matters. 
That's a lot of ground to cover when I'm thinking about <laughs> yes, one one person really engaging with a hundred. Um, yeah. That's a lot of different hats that one would be wearing. It, it it is, and and that's in our experience. That's precisely why we chose um, to do what we do and to call it shared HR. Uh, in many cases. Uh, we want to be that partner. Uh, we recognize uh, that there are, there are a lot of employers out there who's, who feel the the, the gap. Um, they either have somebody on staff who is really a really good strategic business partner for management, but they're they're bogged down by um, the other end of the spectrum in HR. Sometimes it's the other way around. Um, so we recognize that it's hard for one person to cover all those bases, and they all need to be covered well. Uh, so we provide organizations with the ability and the, uh, and they can afford ability to afford uh, covering the full spectrum of HR resources through a shared model. Wonderful. Now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you would be, if you had a blank canvas, who is your ideal client in terms of size? And is there a particular industry or field that aligns best with your type? I, I'm just thinking anytime you want to go into an outsourcing mold, you need to know whether or not you're going to fit that role. So who is your ideal client? Well, you know, about 30 or so percent of our clients are not-for-profit organizations, uh, and those, are, those organizations work well in our model um, because whether you're for-profit or non-profit, you're concerned with similar things. You're concerned with engaging your employees, uh, keeping them motivated so they do their best work. You're concerned with making sure everybody gets paid correctly and uh, you're following uh, local, state, and federal laws. Um, but they're the organizations that are most constrained in terms of resources. Um, and so they work well for us because sometimes they can't afford two full-time people. They may be able to afford a half person or a, a combination thereof. Uh, and that's, uh, so that's a, um, a good client for us. Another third uh, of our clients are um, services companies, professional services, uh, financial services, other services companies. And they're typically for-profit. They're between uh, 75 and 150 employees. Again, they're in that space where, given the number of headcount, um, if you go purely by headcount, uh, they they might be able to uh, afford one to one and a half people. But oftentimes, by the time you get to 75 and 150, the HR spectrum is so intense, shall we say, <laughs> uh, that it just simply needs more. Um, uh, so services as well. And then another third is in the manufacturing, uh, whether it's, it's food manufacturing and distribution. Um, uh, we have multilingual capacities here in our firm, so a lot of our clients are clients that may not have somebody on board that speak a foreign language, um, and so we become that, that resource for them. So the model works well for multiple industries, um, and um, yeah, um, multiple industries and multiple locations. Wonderful. Now, one of the things that I want to—I know when we were talking, um, as we were kind of setting up things for the show—I wanted to get a clear perspective in terms of your providing the strategy the resources, let's call them the intelligence around what should be done. Are you sending your team in to execute the plan? 
generally, to some extent, um, yes, and other cases, no. Um, I would say that in cases where, uh, let's say, uh, a client engages us to do an HR audit, uh, they, uh, they understand that they have needs, but they don't honestly know what those needs might be. Um, uh, or they don't know whether they're really fully compliant. Um, they just have some questions about what's happening in HR. They might engage our firm to go in and do an audit. Um, it's a friendly audit, but we have a broad criteria that we apply to make sure that the companies are doing things um, that's uh, within best practice and within compliance with the law. In those cases, uh, there may be things that, yes, we would sweep in and take care of. Um, those things tend to be in the area of, of compliance um, or bringing in HR systems, um, uh, helping them streamline their HR workflows. Um, a good example of that might be cases where a company does a lot of hiring, but they do a lot of hiring using paper-based systems. We might reveal in an assessment like that that, that in a that the company should uh, streamline the process and implement some technology to sort of ease the burden of of the of the person engaging in the enrolling of the new employees, which in turn, of course, frees them up to hopefully be more strategic or add value in other ways to the firm. They're not they're not stuck paper pushing. Um, so, in that end of the spectrum, we almost always jump in and help. There are other cases where we're doing an audit or an assessment where the client needs a really sophisticated, uh, say, team building, um, uh, where the leaders need to uh, connect, engage, and relate to each other in very different ways. We might uh, shed some light on that as an observation, and <laughs> uh, but we don't um, we don't generally do that kind of work. Is, right. that, is that kind of what you meant? Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. It's kind of funny because where you come in and create your assessment, that's the next step would be a company like Clemmer would come in and we would support a team in taking action with the different topics and items that your assessment have revealed. Maybe it's employee engagement or maybe it could be a, a low morale uh, scenario. That's where the work of Clemmer and Associates its leadership seminars will step in and get the ball rolling there. And then they will come back and start to technically um, execute the plan that you developed. So I love that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that um, uh, because, in the, in, you know, we mentioned two kinds of assessments. One's, one's very, uh, it's also important, but, but more tactical. The other's sort of more strategic. Um, the and that's the employee engagement surveys. One of the we get a lot of companies that come to us and ask us to conduct employee engagement surveys. Uh, and one of the risks that we always identify uh, with respect to conducting a survey is, uh, and the question that we ask related to that is, what are you going to do with this information? I are you going to engage? Are you going to engage your population in giving you feedback, honest feedback? about things that you're not going to do anything about um, because that so, is the biggest risk. 
Let's do this. Let's. I am really intrigued by this subject of surveys. We are coming up against our first break. So let's take a break and we're going to come back and talk about how to really utilize the employee survey and not just make it an exercise where you cross it off your to-do list. How can you create these effective surveys to launch your action plan? You are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Stay tuned for more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at CompassionateSamuraiShow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and today's guest is Saul Macias. And Saul is an expert in the field of human resources, and that's a field that's constantly changing. And just before break, we were talking about the dynamic aspect of surveys. And surveys can be tools for a lot of things, and the one thing that we never want them to be is just an exercise in frustration. So, so we'll share with us what an employer and what your team of experts will do in extracting out the best possible surveys as you go about doing your business. Yes, thank you. Um, so, as, as we mentioned before the before the break, uh, there's a great opportunity and great risk in conducting uh, surveys uh, and asking your employees to be. Uh, brutally honest, shall we say, about what they love or dislike about their employment relationship with respective employers. And and one of the risks is that you don't do anything with the feedback, um, that what you end up with there is a case where you you, you break trust. Um, and so we, before engaging in any survey, ensure that the management team and the leadership has enough, um, let's say, uh, have a commitment um, it to the process that they're going to uh, engage in collecting, uh, designing a series of questions that really get to the heart of what what employees like and what they'd like to see change in an organization, but also a commitment to 
doing something about it. Um, so I would say that that is the uh, the most the most critical element um, for how the process works with shared HR is that we have a uh, an instrument uh, that we have benchmarked throughout AR clients and a third party um, uh, survey uh, provider that looks at studies and like organizations in multiple countries. Actually, the survey initiated in Latin America and spread uh, throughout uh, Europe. But we use the, those a series of questions to understand and, and uh, appreciate uh, levels of, of engagement on a number of levels from uh, key employees. Uh, and then we share those results with the leadership. Um, sometimes, as you might be aware, uh, in, the, in the surveys that Clemmer pr- produces as well, uh, there are um, uh, things that are a surprise um, that need to be addressed uh, that are sometimes painful to hear. Um, yes. And you know, the, I would say that uh, always give kudos to a leadership team that's willing to hear the feedback. Um, and, uh, but that's only the first step. Uh, the, the, the harder step to take is what are we going to do about it? Um, mm-hmm. and sharing and sharing that with the uh, sharing that with the team right well and one of the things that i find is that feedback can be um quite dicey from time to time for a leadership team to hear and one of the things that we do when we partner with our corporate clients at Clemmer is invite the leadership team to walk the talk to go ahead and take our workshops before they even invite their core team members the folks that are carrying the company to take a workshop and that way all of the people on the team really know their leaders are willing to walk the talk and endure and grow and hear sometimes that critical feedback. And it can be a little heartbreaking from time to time when you have a leadership team where they think they're doing it all right and, and they're doing the best they possibly can and there's still room to grow. And thankfully, the work that Clemmer does opens them up for that open, honest feedback. And then they're in a position, as you say, to do something about it. Um, nothing worse than having a survey or asking an employee for their feedback, and then it just literally sets in a dust file. Yeah. That's absolutely right. I mean, if you think about it, employers are are kind of burying their soul sometimes, um, especially if the survey and in the survey process, you ask and you permit employees to make comments um, as you wave if certain certain employees might be might have might be sitting on 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 issues that they wanted to. Transmit to their employer, uh, but haven't been given an opportunity. If they're if they're given an opportunity through a survey, and then they build the strength to be really honest and constructive, uh, and nothing happens. There's nothing more demoralizing than that. Um, so I, I I do have uh, clients uh, where you know they don't pass the smell test. Uh, we ask, you know, what are you going to do about this? Do you have are you partnered with anybody to resolve the issues? Are you going to be working with anybody to help you really explore what's what's here? If they don't have a plan for doing something about what they uh, re what they learn, um, uh, 
from, then then we will pass on the survey. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's worse to not do it than to do it and not do anything about it. Right. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. Well, one of the questions that I have when a company is just starting off and, and you're the, not only are you the CEO, but you're the janitor and then you blink your eyes and there's a, a few times and there's an amount of success that warrants hiring two and three and maybe even 10, 15 employees. At what point would a CEO or a CFO want to reach out? Let's say they're even a startup. Do you offer services for startups? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I would say that that the needs really differ in from size of organization. Um the really, really small organization, uh, less than 10, 10 to 15 employees, for example, um, don't have a lot of HR needs, frankly. Um, however, um, they need enough guidance to make sure that, that, the, that the initial policies that they put in place are in place. They need to understand that there are certain guidelines that whether they're one employee or a thousand, they need to comply with. Um, so the first step for the really, really small groups are what laws apply to us, whether they're local, state, or federal, and how do we get compliant with those local, state, or federal laws. Um, uh, and so, yes, we, we, we do have a service level for that really small group. Um, and then, of course, you have to get them paid. Uh, if you have to decide what to do about their benefits, whether you're going to provide them or you're going to send them to the uh, exchange, refer them to the exchanges. Uh, so there are those decisions to be made. Um, but uh, and that's the really tactical side of things. The the more strategic side of uh, the HR space for really small organizations um, is, I guess, to, for leaders to recognize that that they drive the culture in the organization. And the culture they set determines their their growth. Really, um, it it sets a tone for who they hire, how those people work together. Um, so, an early kind of assessment of that culture and what what does it look like now? Is it what we want it? Um, is this who we want to be? Uh, is helpful as well um, because, like I said, that sort of sets the tone for everyone else. And small organizations need to recognize that the smaller you are, the bigger the impact every new hire has on the culture in an organization. Uh, so if you're 10 people and you add, or nine people and you add one more, you're now 10. That, that person, that one change can, can, in fact, really change the dynamic in a group. Um, and so that's a, a, a critical um, component to think about. Most people only think about the the really tactical side of things, uh, but uh, they need to think of both sides of that equation. I am so glad you brought that up because many times I've been asked, although I'm not uh, officially on the hiring process or a committee for hire uh, when I was out selling in the corporate space in financial services, oftentimes my manager would invite me in and say, hey, can, can this person just talk to you? We're thinking about bringing them on. We want to make sure they're a good cultural fit for our sales team because we had a just a, a sales team that was running and purring. I mean, I'm a little embarrassed to, to say this, but we used to play Pictionary together on our lunch breaks <laughs> at one time. I mean, we Sounds like tight. a fun lunch. 
it was a fun lunch and, and we would water ski together and, and really vacation together as a sales team of about eight or nine people and just had a blast with it. And you're right, adding one more person to the mix culturally, that one person had to be great, a great fit. And we were always welcoming new people, but they had to be the best fit possible. Right, right. Yeah. And as a small startup, um, that's not generally something that you think about. Um, uh, you know, the really, the really insightful ones do, um, but a lot of times small organizations are more concerned with making sure that they have the I's dot and the T's crossed on, on the tactical end of the spectrum, which is also important, but you need to make sure that you're attending to both sides of the, what I call sort of the HR spectrum. Um, and then, of course, to, to continue with your, your question, you know, what different size organizations look for or need, um, as you get bigger, really what, what changes is, the uh, in some cases, the com- legal compliance. There are laws that kick in when employees uh, reach 25, 50, and then 100 employees, and then generally over 100, um, uh, it, 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 things, things kind of level off in terms of the compliance need, uh, but an awareness of each of those phases and where they are with respect to uh, uh, meeting compliance for each of the laws that start to become um, applicable to them as they grow is really important. And if you don't have somebody in-house uh, looking uh, and making sure that you're, you're, you're doing that, then it helps to partner with somebody that can look for that for you. That makes sense. Well, and as companies grow, just knowing that there are firms out there like yourself that will reach out, just being, as you say, when you're small, being compliant to the law and building your culture are probably your two most important items on top of growing the company, correct? Right. Right. Okay. All right. And obviously keeping compliant to the law. I noticed you had written just a wonderful, wonderful article. Now, this uh, relates specifically to California, but I wanted to take a minute to go over it to, to get an idea of some of the things that your firm does. And this is in regard to the newly passed law, the California Fair Pay Act. Can you give us kind of a, a Fair Pay Act 101? In a few minutes. Sure thing. So the um, California Fair Pay Act is really a revision to a law that um, has long been passed. Uh, California has always had a law to have parity in compensation for men and women in the workforce. Really, the biggest change that has happened uh, lately and that was introduced very recently was a, a clarification of what the uh, the state is asking employers to do in how they compare jobs within the organization. It used to be that if I had, let's just, because you started using sales analogies, let's say I had uh, telemarketers um, and outside salespeople, and then within the outside sales group force, I had you know, two or three levels. Um, in the past, the law, you would be compliant with the law if you compared like jobs to like jobs. So uh, telemarketer, senior telemarketer uh, would be compared to each other, right? Um, and on and on up that particular job family to maybe senior sales director. Um, what this particular law is now saying is that in addition to comparing jobs like jobs, 
you have to compare jobs that are similar in nature. Um, so what that basically means is that within your organization, you could have uh, jobs that don't have the same title, aren't within the same division or department, but are similar in nature. Suddenly, you have to have parity um, uh, within that structure, uh, unless you have a bona fide reason that you are that you have different wages for that particular job. So, um, what it's done is it cre- it's created the requirement for employers to have a much more sophisticated way to differentiate pay, um, one that the state hopes would result in. Uh, equitable pay for men and women doing, quote-unquote, similar uh, duties. Well, I'm glad... It helps a lot. I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm actually thinking of the actress Jennifer Lawrence, and she would be, I would guess, delighted to be reading your article yeah. because uh, <laughs> she's certainly become a, a strong spokeswoman for equal pay uh, among the genders. So you're listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and I invite you to stay tuned. We're going to be back speaking with Saul Macias, a human resources expert, and we have a lot more questions to ask Saul today. Stay tuned for more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and today we're joined by expert human resources, Vice President of Professional Services, Saul Macias. And Saul has been sharing with us the nuances of how to take a small and medium-sized firm to ensure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted in relationship to human resources. And that can be a kind of a, a... 
two-pronged level in terms of not only the tactical aspect of human resources, but also the strategic aspect. And so I want to get into, uh, let's pick Saul's brain a little bit. And one of the things you mentioned, Saul, is that you support your clientele all over the world because you, you literally have clients all over the world. And how do you support them in doing their best work? And how do you help them to find new talent? Yes, thank you. We do, in fact, have... Um uh, clients all over the world, of course, most of our clients are, are based in the U.S. and within the U.S., uh, kind of all over the U.S., uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to uh, to have that. Um, our international clients specifically generally reach out to shared HR when they realize that they have some gaps in how they cover HR in the U.S. Um, many times we are the the HR resource in the U.S. for their clients, uh, for, the, sorry, for their employees, and so in that case, we partner with the leadership, HR leadership in country uh, to f- just figure out what uh, policies need to be in place, uh, what the talent management strategies are for uh, hiring, retaining uh, talent, for example. Uh, and that's kind of a win-win uh, because the the employer uh, in the foreign country doesn't need to become an expert in U.S. HR. They leave that to us. And they have a ready partner in us in executing some of their HR strategy. Uh, so you ask, you know, what, what, do we, what do we do for them? How, how do we partner with them in helping them grow and find, uh, and find talent? Um, fortunately, HR, uh, in the world of HR, the tactical end of HR is very specific. Uh, it can be as specific to a local area. Say San Francisco has very particular laws uh, that don't apply to other cities around the San Francisco Bay Area, as was one example. But there are some things that transcend um, in, in countries, um, and that's it's just employee relations, for example, talent management practices, um, and employee engagement. Um, those things really do transcend uh, countries. Um, the things that make employees really engaged in their work in, uh, in France are, are almost the same things that make them happy in the U.S., for example. There may be cultural differences, but there are some, there's a lot of similarities in, in what they do. So it's possible then to provide services to organizations in, in other countries, uh, particularly around that uh, more strategic side of of human resources. Uh, and since we are in country, uh, then, then we do have a role in helping an organization to uh, identify, uh, first assess what's, what's needed, right? Um, in, any, in any organization, the work of the organization is done by people. Um, and in, in getting to that point, you have to understand what it is you want people to do. Uh, and how do you know when they're doing it at a really high level, and how do you recognize them when they're doing that at a high level? Those principles kind of transcend. Um, and we partner with organizations in looking for people. First, of course, you identify what what is it you're looking for and, and what does it look like as you put it on paper in your job description to do it really exceptionally well um, uh, and then help find them. And then once you find them, of course, the equally difficult challenge is then how do you retain them? Um, 
Uh, and that is where it becomes really exciting to partner with organizations. Um, uh, and in that way, the employees really, they, they develop, they grow, they feel fulfilled, they do their best work, and the organization benefits. Um, yeah, that, that I hear that. And one of the things that you mentioned in terms of job description, does your firm help out in crafting and writing that job description, because I know in many uh, in many roles I've accepted, the job description at best loosely matched what the job was that I actually did. Yeah, yeah, it's it become very popular actually just to recycle job descriptions. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those. It's one of those. Uh, one of those compliance. Um, things that kind of gets in the way sometimes. Uh, it, it is a best practice to have a job description for an incumbent coming into a role. Uh, the challenge, though, is that it's also become popular to kind of recycle them. Um, it's, they look at just the title and they ignore that, that the role, the responsibility of that person in that title has changed significantly. Um, you know, one, one good example is recently a, a company asked me to come in and help them uh, recruit for a uh, an HR director. Um, when they gave me the job sample for the for that position, I read it and thought it was very, very tactical, and I found it at odds with the conversation I'd had with the leadership about what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And that happens over and over and over again. Um, and so, yes, we do help organizations really understand what it is that they need out of the roles um, that people play in organizations. Um, and uh, make sure that it that it covers what it should cover. Um, yeah. Well, and one of the the questions that I have are red flags. It is so costly to have a mishire, and yeah. I've experienced that before. Um, I've onboarded folks where they they turned out to be a mishire. Yeah. So what are some of those red flags? They, they seem obvious once you hear them, yeah. but I would like to hear what are some of those red flags in terms of hiring? Wow, that's a great question, Kathy. I'll... Uh... I'll start by telling your audience that, that you, you, what you experience is, is very true, um, and it is very expensive to mishire. Uh, oftentimes, 20 to 40% of the base salary cost, you can attribute to loss in productivity and just, just losses in, in that search. So it is very costly. Um, but here, to your question, what are, those, what are those red flags? I would say that it sort of depends because it's highly dependent on your organization, the culture in the organization, what you want them to do, and what the job is. Uh, for example, um, if in, in this particular example that I uh, gave you of the job description for the HR director, that's a leadership role. Um, if I was the senior team looking for a strategic HR partner, and I interviewed somebody who, uh, when I asked them, what are you most proud of in your last position?, they described that they were, say, let's say their answers were heavily on the compliance end of the spectrum. I would that would be a red flag, mm-hmm. right? So I think I think the red flags will stem from your understanding of what you want the role to be and the culture in the context of the culture in the organization. So they're going to vary from interview to interview. Um, 
and and, and the red flags are things that that are that are inconsistent with either what you have in the job description or or the the attitude and the energy um, that the person needs to bring to the job. Perfect, perfect. Something just popped into my head, and I just want to share it with the listeners. The other day, I had someone ask if they would look over um, references that they had put together, and if they thought it was a robust look of a uh, list of references. And I said, most definitely, great references. And I said, did you check your references? And they said, what, what do you mean? And I said, did you have someone call these people? And ask the questions that a potential employer would have. And her comment was, well, no, I never thought of doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a risk and, and, and a big mistake, um, often that, 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 that companies make. Um, uh, I will share with your, uh, with your listeners that there is such a thing as wrongful hire. Um, if, if you don't make the effort, uh, to conduct your uh, reference checks uh, and criminal background checks, for example, uh, when you should have, there may be some liability there. Um, mm-hmm. So it absolutely, it is, it is the best practice. It is how, how you uh, get a, br- a, more, uh, a broader perspective of the candidate um, than just talking to the candidate. Because um, um, at the end of the day, a candidate is looking for a job. Right, uh, and uh, many candidates will say what they feel they need to say to get the job. Um, right. uh, unfortunately, you know that that may be the case, um, and so the only way to really understand how somebody operates within a team, how they take direction, um, uh, when they're at their best, or a question that I love to ask candidates and their reference is if. If you could wave a magic wand and work in the absolutely ideal environment, what does that look like? How are you, how are you, and I ask them to ideate. I ask them to explain to me how they're interacting with the team, what does their interaction with their manager look like, and they get into this position where they almost step out of the interview and then just tell you, um, and that's where you really hear what the person's about. Um, yes. And if it fits with what you're looking for, the great. If it doesn't, then that's a red flag. Going back to your, your, your point about red flags, then, then it could be a red flag. It may not be uh, horrible, uh, but not right for you. Right, right. Well, and that I'm, I'm reflecting back. Though, uh, I hate to admit it, but this goes goes back at least 20 years when I was interviewing someone for a client services position, and um, she was an administrator at that time. And I, I said, you know, if you could change one thing with with the job that you have going, what would that be? And now, keep in mind, her her job was client support, mm-hmm. and her response was, you know what. I'm just so sick of hearing client complaints. If I could just have these clients stop calling me. <laughs> That's a red flag. I would, I would call and that I'm a red thinking, flag. Mm, I just don't think this promotion is going to be up your alley. So we are coming up against our final break here. You're listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. And I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks. We're going to learn a little bit more from Saul Macias today, our expert in human resources. Stay tuned for more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and we've had a delightful time chatting with Saul Macias. He is an expert in the field of human resources. And I know that I hear from Saul, and I'm sure the listeners do as well, the passion he really has around human resources. And that's just not about filling out an employee application and processing it through for hire. Saul, tell me, where does this passion really stem from and what does that look like for you yeah that's a that's a a, a great question um, yeah I've been living and breathing human resources for forever I, I had an internship and uh, in, as far back as college uh, in human resources and the reason I'm passionate about it is that I, 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 I see it as the interplay between business and people that Tiny, that intersect right there is where HR lives. Uh, and if you think about it, uh, no business can get done without really good people. And people need, need work. Um, so it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship that sometimes gets ignored. Um, but if organizations really pay attention to um, what is my business about uh, and what do I what needs to happen in my business and how, what does it look like when people are doing it at a really high level? And now how do I find those people and either recruit them or train them if they're already in my organization to, to do the jobs that we need to get done at the absolute best that they can? When those two things intersect, beautiful things can happen. Um, and that's, that's what I love about my job. Uh, and you, can, you, can, it does, you don't have to be Citigroup, for example, um, to, to realize uh, success in that intersect. You can be one or two or three people um, all the way to as large as you want. Um, but paying attention to it, regardless of size of organization, can reap uh, significant rewards for, for employees and employers alike. 
Well, I'm glad you underscored that intersection is so beautiful and you throw a few systems in there. And the area of expertise that Clemmer and Associates really works in is that people side of things. And we know from working with our corporate clients as well as our nonprofit clients that an employee, a team member, wants to be a contributing member to the team. They want to feel heard. They want to have a voice. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that their way is adopted, but Having a voice and being heard is so you know, instrumental in employee satisfaction and engagement. And that's one of the areas of specialty that we have, not the tactical side, but really that actionable, compassionate samurai side where everybody in the entire organization becomes a problem solver and understands that they actually have responsibility to the company's bottom line. And that's powerful, very powerful. So, so one of the things I want to, I want to dip into the uh, reality pool a little bit here and talk about what happens when someone you bring on board isn't gelling with the team and it becomes obvious that termination is really the right course correction move to make. Can you give us some of the key elements of properly handling a termination with an employee? Yeah, that's probably the least favorite aspect of my job. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think... You know, for a good reason, and we—it's—it's it's at the at the heart of of, uh, of a termination action, is is conflict, um, and human beings by and large uh, avoid conflict. Um, and putting yourself in a situation where you have to terminate an employee is is difficult. It's stressful. It's it's just it's no fun. But as you put it, necessary sometimes. So, if you have to terminate somebody, um, I generally have. Three rules. Uh, first of all, um, be sure it's not a surprise. Um, sometimes a an immediate uh, termination is required because an employee might uh, do something that warrants immediate termination. Um, but in most, the majority cases, an employee is working up to being terminated. Um, so my first rule is. Just don't let there be. Don't let it be a surprise. If 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 an employee is not doing a uh, job that uh, that you, the job that you expect, let the employee know. Um, that way, if you have to sit down with them, um, it will be a much easier conversation. Uh, so sure. one is no surprises. If um, and if you have to terminate, my second rule is generally uh, pay attention to the laws. Um, Depending on the state, and in some cases, depending on municipality, there are certain laws that you have to follow to ensure that the termination checks are in order, that the calculations are correct, because um, uh, you would be surprised how many employers end up with actions when they fail to uh, understand the local laws about what it should be represented and when an employer, an employee who's being terminated should should be paid and how. So... Uh, Pay attention to what your local, your state and local municipality require in terms of that final interaction and information that they have to have in their hands when they depart. Um, and then finally, um, be compassionate. Um, it is a 
difficult thing for employer and employee alike to sever the employment relationship. Um, there's and part of being compassionate in my book is letting them know ahead of time. Um, let them know at first signs that an employee is not meeting expectations. Have that difficult conversation. Um, and if you do that, then the whole experience, uh, though necessary, is a lot easier. Well, those sound like three rules, as you say, that are going to allow both sides to sleep better at night. So thank you Correct. for sharing. It's an un, you know a very unpleasant subject, but a subject I think that we need to address in reality. Saul, you've provided a wealth of information for us today, and I know your website is also full of all kinds of robust resources for small and medium-sized companies. Would you share with us how would people from all over the world get in touch with you and or your firm? Yes, thank you. Uh, you referenced the website, uh, and we can be reached at www.sharedhr.com. Um, I can also be reached via my own personal email um, at smacias at sharedhr.com, or you can call our office at 415-459-4400. Great. And do me a favor. Will you spell, I, I know your name, S-A-U-L, last yes. name M-A-C-I-A-S, correct? That's correct. Okay, beautiful. Well, you have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Saul, I can't thank you enough for being our guest today. Thank you for providing so much insight. Thanks for the invitation, Kathy. My pleasure. Now, if you have an interest in amping up your corporate leadership and team engagement and team involvement, I encourage you to go out to the Clemmer website and check us out. See what type of workshops we have to support your team members in getting out of your their own way to produce the results that you're looking to produce as a company in 2016. That website is www.clemmer.com. And Clemmer is K-L-E-M-M-E-R. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour, and I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Our guest next week is going to be sharing with us the benefits and aspects of hiring a virtual assistant. So join us next week to learn more about that emerging field of growth in virtual assistance. Thank you much. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for tuning into our show. You can hear the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, be sure to take action and create your own success. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.